You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Okay, the sermon text from today is from Amos chapter 5, verse 18 through 24, and chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. What will the day of the Lord be for you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be like a man who flees from a lion, only to have a bear confront him. He goes home and rests his hand against the wall, only to have a snake bite him. Won't the day of the Lord be darkness rather than light, even gloom without any brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Even if you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fat and calf, fat and cattle. Sorry, take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let the justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. In that day, I will restore the fallen shelter of David. I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the nations that bear my name, this is the declaration of the Lord. He will do this. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When the plowman will overtake the reaper and the one who treads grapes, the sower of seed, the mountains will drip with sweet wine and all the hills will flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel. They will rebuild and occupy ruined cities, plant vineyards and drink their wine, make gardens and eat their produce. I will plant them on their land. And they will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them. The Lord your God has spoken. This is God's word. Morning, church family. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's a joy to be able to open up the scriptures together. Um, if you're like me, you, you probably, you know, didn't know. You probably don't know much about Amos. I didn't until, you know, a week ago or so. When I started looking at this, it's... Um, you know how they, how they refer to the, the Midwest as, as flyover country? You know, you go from the East Coast to the West Coast. Um, I feel like the Minor Prophets are kind of the flyover country of the Bible, where, you know, you, you know the stories from, like, Genesis through Joshua-ish, or, um, you know, some Psalms, you know, the New Testament, but, like, what, what happens in between? Kind of just miss it. And so um, I'm glad that we're going through this. Uh, this series in the Minor Prophets, and I'm glad that I got to study Amos because there's um, there's some really good stuff in here. There's some really good truth about God in this book, and um, you know some of it might be familiar. You know the the verse chapter five verse twenty four that that Justice read: the let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. That's a good reminder for the people of God to to let justice flow like water. There's a there's a creek behind our house. Um, and, you know, for a couple of weeks this summer, it didn't rain and, and the creek dried up. Basically, it stopped flowing, except for, you know, some, some pools of water that, that just got nasty and mosquitoes were laying eggs in there. And it was just, it was gross. Like in, in justice, where justice does not flow like water, is gross like that. <clears throat> we see, so we see themes of, of justice. We see themes of, of who God is that he is holy and he is just and he is merciful. And from that, from seeing who God is, we, we hear about who we should be. And so that's what I want us to, to learn today is as we look at, at this book, we see some truth about God. We 
We see some of his characteristics, and that should affect the way that we live. The way of, I've heard a, a phrase um, that says, you know, our, our theology should, should define our biography. What we know about God, what we study and learn about God, it should define how we live. Some of the ladies were able to go to a, um, an event where, where the Bible teacher, Jen Wilkin, was, was speaking. And, um, you know, and she was talking about how everyone is a theologian. We all should study the God, study God. We may not have a, you know, we may not like, you know, spend years studying it like a, someone who gets a PhD in theology or something, but we, we should be learning about God as we read the scriptures. And as we learn about God and as we see who he is, it should change our lives. It should affect how we live. And so I'm going to pray as we dive in and, and just ask for, for us as we, as we see who God is that, that we would be able to live differently because of that. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Amos and, and um, just the, the prophet that, that you spoke to and spoke through. Thank you for the, um, the way that you have kept the word in, in our reach, that we can um, have it in, in English and, and just read it and, and understand it. Thank you for, um, for this church, for this time that we come together and, and worship you and, and hear from you that you would speak through me, that you would um, open our hearts and help us to, to hear from you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so um, two kind of major points. Number one, I want us to see God differently. And then number two, I want us to live differently. And so the first thing in, in see God differently, we see three different characteristics of God that I want to draw out from Amos. Number one, that he is holy. He is he's completely different than us. He's He's separate, set apart. Holy, holy, holy. We also know that, that God is just. He will, not, he will not leave the guilty unpunished. He will not relent from punishing those that are in sin. And last, we see that, that he is merciful. Even though we sin and we fall short, and even as, as just read, the, when we come to God in our sin, he, he hates, he despises our feasts and can't stand the, scent, the stench of our sin. Even in spite of that, he is merciful. The close of the book of where he says, "Look, the days are coming, and the days are coming of, of abundance." And um, he says, "He will plant them in their land; they will never again be uprooted." So that that hope, that mercy that we have in God, that's what we see about Him. So, first of all, that, that God is holy. There's a a little bit of a meme where um, where people say, um, "I'm just built different." They uh, some people try to use it seriously. A lot of people just joke around and, and say, you know, if I was in the theater with Abraham Lincoln, he would have survived the assassination because I'm built different. Some people joke even more and, and say, like, I eat Taco Bell and I don't even get a tummy ache because I'm, I'm, I'm built different. God is really different. He's not built because he's eternal, but, but he is completely different. All of those things and beyond. His holiness means that he is completely different than us, completely other, completely unique. The first way that we see his holiness is, is that he is totally unchanging. He is the Lord. He is Yahweh. I am. Uh, I forgot to mention, you should probably have a Bible. Um, and if, if you don't have a Bible, um, we have them on the, in the chairs in front of you. If you pull up that Bible, um, 
520, 521 is, is the page that we're on. Um, I did get some, some text in the, uh, on the screen here, but since it's, there's nine chapters that we're going through today, having it in front of you to be able to flip back and forth is, is probably helpful. So if you have a, a Bible, um, jump to, to chapter 5. Amos 5, 1 through 17 is, um, is a passage that, that shows us that Yahweh is Lord. The Lord is his name. Yahweh is, is his name. So verses 1 through 17 is, uh, is a chiasm. If you don't know what a, a chiasm is, that's okay because I'm going to tell you. Um, so basically it's, it's this literary structure where, where a theme is introduced in order and then it's repeated back in ver- reverse order. So a simple example comes from, from Mark 2 when, uh, when Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath, man, man, Sabbath. Um, sometimes they're a little more complex, like this is 17 verses. Um, and when there's a central theme in the very mi- the middle of the chiasm, that central theme is, is meant to draw extra emphasis. You can see here in verse 4 and 14, there's, um, there's this, you can see the, the theme kind of repeated again. So verse 4, the Lord says to the house of Israel, seek me and live. And then down in verse 14, pursue good and not evil so that you may live. Seek the Lord and live. Pursue good and live. And so in this chiasm, you have A, B, C, D, E, and then D, C, B, A. And so E is kind of the the key. And what is an E? Verse 8, the very end, the last phrase, the Lord is his name. So the center of of these 17 verses that, that Amos wrote it's all building to this. That, that is the, the main takeaway for this, is that the Lord is his name. Yahweh is his name. Many of you are, are familiar with the story of, of, of Moses in the burning bush from the book of Exodus, where Moses comes to the burning bush and, and God speaks to him and, and calls him to, to go to Pharaoh and, and to ask Pharaoh to let his people go. And when Moses asks God, who are you? Who's sending you? If they ask me what your name is, what should I tell them? And God says, I am. I am who I am. Yahweh. Just the fact that, that God is, he always is. He is I am. That's amazing to us. We're always changing. Just the other, just the other day, Jess was, was like, Aaron, you're getting, your hair's getting too long. And I haven't cut it yet, so it is too long. Um, but I'm always changing. My hair's growing. Some people are losing hair. <laughs> Some people, yeah. Lots of lots of different ways that we change constantly. Got sunburn from the beach yesterday. I, I'm redder than I was last week. Um, we are always changing, but God is not. God is always the same. The same God that that created the world, created Adam, made him out of dust, and, and breathed life into him. Is the same God that that came to Moses to the burning bush and spoke to him. And it's the same God that, that was with David as he defeated Goliath. And the same God that was with Amos and, and spoke through him in this book that we're reading. From the book of Acts, the, the same God that we saw come down like tongues of fire on, um, on the disciples so that they could speak in different languages. The same God that, that was with Paul as he said that, as he gave Paul the promise that he would speak that he would make it to Rome. The same God that is with us today, that, that we know 
we have the opportunity to know the same God that saved us from our sins is always the same, never changing. The second way we see God's holiness is, is in his power. He is all-powerful. So the center of, of verse 8 is that, that key, the Lord is his name, but right around that, 8 and 9, we see God's power. The one who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns darkness into dawn and darkens the day into night, summons the water of the sea and pours it out over the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. He brings destruction on the strong and it falls on the fortress. God made the stars, the Pleiades and Orion, the, the stars that are incomprehensibly big to us. It could fit a million earths in the sun. God made those. He turns darkness into dawn. God is, is turning the earth so that the earth faces the sun and turns darkness into dawn. He summons the water of the sea and pours it out over the surface of the earth. Yesterday, some of us went to the beach and, and it was a red flag day, which means no swimming was allowed because we can't handle the ocean. Right? The ocean is too strong for us, but it's nothing for God. He takes the water and he pours it out over the sur surface of the earth. The strongest people that we know, God can easily destroy them. He brings destruction on the strong and it falls on the fortress. God's power is completely beyond anything that we can imagine. The third aspect of God's holiness that we see is, is his omnipresence. He is everywhere. You can flip over to chapter 9, verses 2 through 5. It says, if they dig down to Sheol, or let me jump up to, to one, so the None of those who flee will get away. None of the fugitives will escape. If they dig down to Sheol, from there my hand will take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide on the top of Carmel, from there I will track them down and seize them. If they conceal themselves from my sight on the sea floor, from there I will command the sea serpent to bite them. If they are driven by their enemies into captivity, from there I will command the sword to kill them. I will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good. Some of us are familiar with, with Psalm 139, verse 7. David says something like this. He says, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. That's a good thing for David that God always knows where he is. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Never never out of your, your sight, God. But it's a bad thing for, for these. You cannot flee from God. He is omnipresent. All these places they go, they try to flee, but God says, I will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good. God is everywhere. The last aspect of, of God's holiness that I'm going to see is, um, is just the purity. The verses that we read in, um, in chapter 5, when we come to God in, in our sin, we're stenched to him. I hate, I despise your feasts. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. God's purity is so much that our impurity is, is disgusting to him. Just think about if, if I've had a, you know, a long, hot day, sweaty, I'm, I'm grimy, and Jess is just taking a shower or something, I don't feel like I can touch her because... I'm, I'm disgusting and she's clean. Just imagine that times a million, right? Our God is, is holy and, and pure. 
and our sin is, is like done, trash. God's holiness is, is something that is clear throughout the Bible, and it's, it's clear in Amos. We also see God's, God's justice. He is just. His justice affects the nations. It affects the, the Israelites as well as they ignore God's will. And ultimately, it affects all of us as we, as we also face the, the day of the Lord. So in the very beginning of the book, chapters 1 and 2, there's um, some repeated phrases applied to different nations. These are called the oracles against nations. Um, many of the, the things that we see are the, the way that these nations treat other people, and, and God hates those. It says, I will not relent from punishing. You have Damascus in verse 3. I will not relent from punishing Damascus for three crimes, even four, because they threshed Gilead with iron sledges. Therefore, I will send fire against Hazael's palace. You see this again and again. These nations are, are treating other people bad. They're, you know, they're conquest and war. They, they exile entire communities and they, um, yeah, they hand over whole communities, verse 9, verse 10, Edom pursued his brother with a sword. He stifled his compassion. His anger toward him continually, and he harbored his rage incessantly. So Edom's compassion was coming up. Maybe I shouldn't treat people like this, and he stifled it. And God hates that. He says, I will not relent. I will send fire. He repeats that six times. I will not relent. I will send fire. These nations deserve punishment, and God is just and he will not relent. But there's an opportunity to turn to him. Chapter 4, starting in verse 6, talking to, to Israel, he repeats these, these opportunities that, that Israel has to, to turn back to God. Verse 6, a lack of food. I gave you nothing to eat, yet you did not return to me. That phrase is repeated five times. Yet you did not return to me. Verse 6, I withheld the rain, yet you did not return to me. There's a blight and mildew the locust devoured, yet you did not return to me. Plagues like those of Egypt. Destruction like Sodom and Gomorrah. All these opportunities to, to turn to God, yet you did not return to me. So God gave Israel a, a chance to repent, a chance to turn. Because they didn't, he's, he's just... Down to verse 12 and 13. Therefore, Israel, this is what I will do to you. They had all these opportunities that they didn't. Therefore, since I will do that to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. He is here, the one who forms the mountains, creates the wind, reveals his thoughts to man, the one who makes the dawn out of darkness and strides on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of armies, is his name. God is just. The God of armies is, is coming in. Israel has reason to be afraid. The day of the Lord. So chapter 5, starting in verse 18. Um, the day of the Lord is, is a familiar theme throughout the, the Minor Prophets. Amos is, is one of the early references. They're expecting good things to happen on the day of the Lord. They're looking forward to it. They long for it. But Amos says, woe to those who long for it. The day of the Lord will be darkness and not light. It'll be these analogies of, of thinking that you've, you've made it, but then 
having calamity happen. It would be like a man who flees from a lion only to have a bear confront him. He gets home and he rests his hand against the wall. He, th- he thinks he's made it, and then a snake bites him. They're expecting acclaim. They're expecting joy with God, and, and they get punishment. There's an opportunity to repent because of God's mercy. So it's the third characteristic I want to draw out, that God is merciful. Some, some of the commentators that you know, have analyzed Amos, they kind of assume that you know, the last few verses are, are just tacked on by somebody else. There's so much negativity and, and, um, and judgment and calling out of, of sin that they think that the mercy described at the end is, must be added by somebody else. But that's just, that's putting God in a box. One of, the, one of my favorite attributes of God is, is referred to as his simplicity. It means you can't break him apart into his different parts. He's not, he doesn't stop being just to be merciful. He doesn't stop being loving to, for his wrath to come out. But he's simple. He's, he's always, all of his attributes, it's kind of like, kind of like sunlight. You know, is, is the sunlight blue? Well, yeah, if it reflects off something that absorbs the other light, then it's blue. Sunlight has blue in it. Obviously, that analogy breaks down. If you put light through a prism, it, it does split up. You can't split up God. But yeah, yeah. I don't know what, what's going on. But um, it's hard for us to, to wrap our heads around God being having all his attributes at once. And so it's easier for us to assume that these mixed messages are coming from mixed people. But God is just, and he hates sin, but he always has hope for the future. Always gives us hope for the future. Listen to, to verses 8 and 9. God's mercy. It says, Look, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will obliterate it from the face of the earth. However, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. This is the Lord's declaration. For I am about to command, to give the command, and I will shake the house of Israel among the nation as one shakes a sieve, and not a pebble will fall to the ground. A few weeks ago, uh, we went gem mining. Um, there's a place in, in Cary where they give you kind of a bag of, of dirt and rocks, and there's some gems in it. You have a sieve, and uh, you can come up to the trough where the water's coming, and you pour some of the dirt in the sieve, and you shake it out, and you keep the, the things that you want to keep, and then anything that you don't want, you, you dump out. Picture that as, uh, as he sa- says, I shake the house of Israel among the nation as one shakes a sieve, and then not a pebble will fall to the ground. At this gem mining place, there's a lot of, a lot of pretty good pebbles that, that fell to the ground. Right, you could look on the ground near the, the trough where people dump stuff out, and you could find some pretty good gems because people aren't being careful. They just dump out stuff. And also, you know, my, my kids' standards are probably lower than um, some of these other people were. You know, any, any rock is cool. But everything that, that God wants to, every single person that God has in the future, God is, is holding on to. Not a single pebble will fall to the ground. The, the idea of, of once saved, always saved is such a beautiful truth. Just like Israel, God's not holding on to us because he needs us. He's holding on to us because he wants us, because he loves us. 
John chapter 10, verse 27, 28, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They will follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I think of, you know, when you're walking with a, a toddler, and they trip, but you're holding their hand, and so they don't fall because you're holding them, not because they're holding on strong enough. We're not holding on to God strong enough for him to, you know, not, not lose us. He's holding on to us. He is merciful. He made a way for us to come to him through Jesus. He is holy. He's completely different than us. He's, he's just. He will not leave the guilty unpunished and he is merciful. He made a way for us to come to know him. And because of that, because of who he is, we should live differently. So that's the second part. Two or three aspects that we want to love God with all that we are, all our heart, soul, mind, strength. We want to love our neighbor as ourselves, and then we want to look to the future and, and live in light of eternity. So love God fully. With all our heart, soul, mind, strength. If you grew up in the church, you're probably pretty familiar with that, that great commandment. Actually knew of a, a church that started their service at, at 1027 because of Luke 1027 where the great command is, is listed. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. It, one of the ways that, that we can love God is, is by obeying him. Trusting him, knowing that what he says is, is trustworthy. It feels weird to, to say that, you know, if you love somebody, you obey them. Like if, if I were to say that, if I were to say, you know, as your, as your pastor, um, if you really love me, you would obey me, then go find another church because I'm probably trying to start a cult or something. Um, but when God is, is pure and ultimately all loving and all knowing, he's completely trustworthy. And to love him means to follow his way, to obey him, to know that his way is better than our way. That's one of the consistent themes in, in Amos is, is these people doing things their way. Even in, um, in the oracles against nations, the, the one on Judah, chapter 2, verse, verse 4, I will not relent from punishing Judah for three crimes, even four, because they have rejected the instruction of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. Their punishment is that they they knew the instruction of the Lord and they rejected it. We know better, God. Their morals revolve around themselves instead of letting God's justice and righteousness be their foundation. Obeying God, seeking Him, leads to life. Remember from chapter 5, the Lord says to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Following God's way, following God His way, leads to life. So we love God by obeying Him, and we also love God by, by worshiping Him in His way. We let God define our worship. There's a lot of, a lot of complaints and, that God has with the people of, of how they're worshiping Him. There's even a little bit of sarcasm in, in chapter 4, verse, verse 4, when He says, Come to Bethel and rebel. Rebel even more at Gilgal. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tents every three days. When he says, come to Bethel and rebel, it's kind of reminiscent of, of Psalm 95, 6, where, where it says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. 
the way it it has that kind of cadence it's, it sounds like a priest beckoning people to worship come let us worship and bow down come to Bethel and rebel we need to worship the Lord instead of worshiping idols if you're going to come and worship God on, on your terms you might as well be worshiping idols they're doing these solemn feasts and assemblies they're doing it in their way and, and God despises it we also need to, to worship him fully come to him Verses, uh, chapter 8 verse 4 the Lord says hear this you, you who trample on the needy and, and do away with the poor of the land asking when will the new moon be over so we can sell grain and the Sabbath so that we can market wheat we can reduce the measure while increasing the price and cheat with dishonest scales we can buy the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals they want the, this festival to be over they want the Sabbath to be over so they can get back to exploiting people they come worship because that's what they're supposed to do they come to the new moon they, they participate in the festival they take the Sabbath off like they're supposed to but, but they're ready for those things to be over so they can get back to cheating people we can increase the price and cheat with dishonest scales growing up my, my parents would, would speak at a lot of churches and um, there are some churches where um, as soon as 12 o'clock hits there are people that walk out if, you, uh, if your service goes a little bit past 12 they, they've only committed till 12 and then they're, they're gone they gotta get to lunch it's kind of a reminder of this we, they're there for their time on their standards it doesn't matter if the Holy Spirit is moving in that service and you go till 12 10 they're, they're gone These people expect God to to want their offerings to take it, but but God is is too pure. He cannot accept that that impure worship. The heart that we the heart that we worship in matters just as much as the actions. You know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount gave all these examples of you have heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said that you should not commit adultery, but, but I say to you that even if you look lustfully at a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. The heart matters. Because of who God is, we need to trust Him, we need to obey Him, we need to worship Him. We also need to, to love our neighbors. The way that um, the oracles against nations, I mentioned earlier, some of these a lot of these, these crimes that they do that, that God will not relent from punishing are how they treat people, right? Because they, the conquest and war, they, they threshed Gilead with, with iron sledges. They exiled a whole community. They handed over a whole community of exiles. They stifled their compassion. They ripped open the pregnant women of, of Gilead in order to enlarge their territory. They didn't consider the, the people here. They considered themselves. They used their power and strength to destroy others, to exploit others, to exile others. Some of the, the complaints against Israel are similar. Chapter 2, verse 6, I will not relent from punishing Israel because they sell a righteous person for silver 
and a needy person for a pair of sandals. Can you imagine loving shoes so much that you'll sell a person to get a nice pair of sandals? There's not a, not a care for, for the people. Chapter 4, verse, verse 1. He's speaking to the, the women who are on the hills of Samaria. These are wealthy women. He says, listen to this message, you cows of Bashan. Which, if you're a cow, you do want to be a cow of Bashan. Bashan is where the, um, you know, the best cows come from. The, the pastures are, are lush. There's good grass. The cows have it good, but, but if you're a person, you don't want to be a cow of Bashan. This is an insult. These women on the hill of Samaria, they're living large. They oppress the poor. They crush the needy. They're entitled. They say to their husbands, bring us something to drink. They're living for themselves. They're not considering their neighbors. They're not loving their neighbors. Let's contrast that with, with how we know that God calls us to live. We just went through Acts. In Acts chapter 2, right after Pentecost, right after Peter preaches, 3,000 people come to, to faith. And... Um, you know, it, it describes kind of what the church is doing and, and they're selling their, their goods. They're selling things so that anybody among them that's in need can have their needs met. They're, they're thinking of others. The Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, where, where Jesus is, is asked by the, the lawyer, you know, how, what must I do to in, inherit eternal life? And he tells him the, the great commandment. And when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, the lawyer says, who is my neighbor? And, and Jesus tells him the story of the, the good Samaritan. Even your, your enemy, when, he's, when you see him, see him on the side of the road beaten half to death, care for him, love him. There's no one, there's no one that is outside of our neighbor that, that we should love. Instead of using our, our strength and, and power to exploit others, we need to lay down our power to love others. It's hard to do. It's unnatural. It's countercultural. How do we do that? First of all, we need to follow our King Jesus. Famous passage in, in Philippians chapter 2 where, where Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. When he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he laid down his life. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Follow our King Jesus as, as he laid down his power and his life and his equality with God in, in heaven. He laid that down to serve us. We can follow him and lay down our lives to, to serve others, to love our neighbors. We also know that we can do it because we have hope for the future. Even those last few verses of that passage of Philippians 2 is, as we look forward to, to Jesus being exalted above every name, the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. We know that we have that hope for the future, and we, we see that here in, in Amos as well. Those verses that, that Jess read, they have some beautiful analogies of, of what we have to look forward to. I mentioned, you know, the, the gym mining thing that 
that God will not let a pebble fall to the ground. Just a little bit later in verse 11, it says, In that day I will restore the fallen shelter of David. I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, rebuild it as in the day of old. I don't know how many of you guys are, are familiar with the, the movie's monster or the movie Monsters Inc. Uh, it's a favorite of mine when I was um, <clears throat> as a teenager. My my sister's ten years younger than me, and and she would watch Monsters Inc. like every day, and uh, and so I know that movie pretty well. Um, when we were foster parents, that really made that that movie hit different. As uh, you think of of Sully, kind of like a a foster parent as as Boo comes into the monster world and, and Sully is, is protecting her and then um, she goes back, this is gonna make me cry, just um, thinking about Caitlin. Um, so Boo goes back and, uh, and then out of, you know, for her safety, they destroy the door that, that connects her world to the monster world. Um, and Sully has, you know, one piece that he holds onto to remember Boo. Um, and then um, Mike, Mike Wazowski, you know, the little green guy with one eye. Um, he finds all the shredded pieces of his door and he rebuilds the door. And Sully takes his last piece and he puts it in and he's able to, to see Boo again. Just the, the care that, that Mike Wazowski shows in, in putting that door together reminds me of, of the care that God shows. As he, he says, I will restore the fallen shelter of David. You can imagine the, the temple destroyed and, and God one by one, just putting the, fixing the gaps, repairing the gaps, restoring the ruins, rebuilding it like it, like in its glory days. The, the care that God shows to rebuild this house, the way that he loves us. And then verses 13 through 15, this, this beautiful picture of, of abundance. So look, the, the days are coming this is the Lord's declaration. Will the, where, when the plowman will overtake the reaper, the one who treads grapes, the sower of seed, the mountains will drip with sweet wine. All the hills will flow with it. That abundance, the, the plowman will overtake the reaper. It means that the, the person that's gathering the harvest in the fall, they have so much harvest together that they're, they're still going in the spring when the, the plowman is getting ready for the, the next season. Same thing with the the treading of the grapes. There's so many grapes to tread that they're still working on them when it's time to, to sow seed. The time of abundance of, of this, this harvest that's, that's beyond imagination. The mountains will drip with sweet wine. The hills will flow with it. I actually saw a video this past week of a, a big tank filled with wine that, that burst. It was at the top of a hill. It's the, the tank was like the size of an Olympic swimming pool or something, <clears throat> and it burst, and, and the street is flowing with wine. And that's one swimming pool's worth. Just imagine all the hills flowing with wine. That vision that we have for the future, this, this beautiful abundance. And because we have that hope for the future, it, it affects how we live today. Many of you guys know that I'm a fan of the Atlanta Braves baseball team. They've already clinched their uh, their division, their, their playoff spot. And uh, I saw a guy on, on Twitter, he said, you know, it's, it's so nice when your team has clinched the playoffs because I could not possibly care if they lose today. 
that hope for the future, that postseason that we have affects how we view today. To this, this abundance that we have coming and on this side of the cross that we know has been earned by Jesus, that affects how we live today. You know the song, O Church Arise, the phrase in there, when faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure. Christ will have the prize for which he died, an inheritance of nations. There's nothing that we can do to, to lose the inheritance that we have in Christ. We don't need to, to grasp the stuff that we have. We don't need to hold on to it. We can lay it down because we have this abundance in the future coming to us. It's like somebody with a, you know, a trust fund that's coming and they're, they lose $50 in a poker game. They're, they're not worried about it. If we lose the stuff that we have in this life, it changes nothing. Romans 8, 18, Paul said that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory. It's coming from a guy who knew suffering. He was whipped and, and stoned and shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, falsely accused, arrested. He said that those sufferings aren't even worth comparing to what we have to look forward to. So we're just to scratch the surface of Amos. There's, there's so much in here, so much that we see about, about God and His holiness, and He is completely different than us. He is Yahweh. Yahweh is His name. He is just. He will not relent from punishing, but He is merciful. He gives us opportunities to, to turn to Him and repent. And because of who he is, it should affect the way that we live. Because we know that he has <coughs> loved us so much through Jesus, it should change everything. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. We don't have to, we don't have to spend our life living for ourselves, living to, to make our, our own present time better. We live for him. We live for eternity, knowing that our hope is secure. We know God and we live differently. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your word and, and just the, the beautiful truth that we've seen in, in Amos of, of your holiness, of your justice, of your mercy. Pray that you would help us to help us to live differently. Help us to love you with, with all that we are. That we would come to you on, on your terms. We would worship you in your way. Pray that you would help us to, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. That we wouldn't use our, our power and strength to, to make our lives better. We wouldn't use our, our time and resources for our own gain, but, but that we would lay them down for the sake of others. Pray that you would help us to, to follow you, that you would fill us with your spirit and, and allow us to live for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.